and has been diagnosed with the deadly coronavirus in the United States. Health officials say they are also monitoring 63 other potential cases in the country. Our U.S. correspondent Sarah Walton reports. A 60-year-old woman from Chicago called her doctor with symptoms after returning last week from a trip to Wuhan in China. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say she was placed in isolation and diagnosed after further testing, but is in a stable condition and said to be doing well. At least 26 people have died and hundreds are ill with the virus in China, where millions of people have been placed under lockdown. The first U.S. case was identified in Seattle on Tuesday in a man who had also been to Wuhan. The CDC says the risk to the public here remains low, but more cases are likely to be confirmed in the near future. U.S. Democrats are entering the third and final day of their opening arguments in the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump. So far, their case has centred on the president being at the centre of efforts to cheat the 2020 election by asking Ukraine for help. Nick Harper reports from Washington. On Friday, Democrats will show how President Trump obstructed Congress and the impeachment inquiry against him by preventing witnesses from testifying. They've already focused on explaining how he abused the power of his position when he asked Ukraine to investigate his political rival, Joe Biden. But there have been complaints that not all of the senators, the supposed impartial jury in this case, are paying close enough attention, with some seen falling asleep, playing games, reading books, and leaving the Senate chamber instead of listening. Trump's lawyers are due to begin their defence on Saturday, but have signalled they may only need one day, not the allotted three, to argue why their boss has committed no impeachable crimes and therefore should not be removed from office. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Today we have audio. <laughs> we have audio on all the streams, baby. So we're going to go ahead and do a show. Um, if you missed some of what we put out at LifeSet.com, you can find it at listen.stacyontheright.com or by going to LifeSet and clicking through to my page over there. Um, welcome to everyone who's listening to the show, especially to those who are coming over from SiriusXM or WMAL out of Washington, D.C., let me tell you why uh, I want to say welcome to you, because I've gotten a lot of emails saying that you've been listening or that you are adding my podcast to your additional listening areas, not in place of anything, but as an addition. And I got to say, that's exciting to me. And I'm so glad that you are here. So thank you. And don't forget to share the show and find me all over social media at listen.stacyontheright.com and at Stacy on the Right everywhere else. So... I see Tracy is already in the chat room and Richard Layton is in there. So some of the gang is just sliding on in uh, to the live stream to listen. So today on the show, we're going to talk about this ridiculousness, um, feminists, angry at the world because, well, regular guys don't want to date them. They figured out that woke feminists aren't that much fun. 
And I just want to stress here from my experience as, uh, as a married woman for just, you know, a couple decades here, I'm, I'm, I'm into this thing. Um, I remember, I remember being, you know, out there kind of on the market, if you will, and not really being excited about it. It wasn't like I thought, oh, you know, there's just this, this bevy of great guys out there. I kind of felt like, you know, I hadn't met anybody. I didn't think it was that great. And I think one of the, uh, the things that kind of helped me out a lot was that I was on active duty in the military. So I had a job. I had fun environment after work where we would hang out in the day room or go out and do things. And I was in Florida, so I could always go to the beach and I could just, you know, hang out with a bunch of people. Usually it was groups and it was mixed groups and it was just fun. And it was much easier than when I was in college, to be quite honest. I went to college for a couple of years and I found the dating scene there to be, it was really kind of a hookup culture with a few people having long-term relationships, but everybody else just kind of, you know, whatever they felt like doing, they did. So I know, I remember what that was like. It was a lot of uncertainty. It was just not that fun. But I do also remember that the girls who were the most popular, the ones with guys who were looking for, you know, relationships, long-term relationships, um, kind of trying to find someone they could possibly you know, try out in the role of, hey, is this is this someone that I might marry? Because in college, you want to get your education. But towards the end there, you're also kind of looking at, at, you know, I want to find my spouse here. And what was so interesting about it was that it, w- it tended to be obviously more attractive women. You know, you get you get more attention that way. I noticed the, the more attractive of my friends um, had many more guys who were interested in them. But in the end, it wasn't that a woman was so beautiful. It was that women with bright personalities who were fun to be around, who were witty, who were good at what they were taking up in college, they were the ones who were the most desirable. And so I don't think men have changed that much. I think men are looking for women who are interesting, funny, witty, that they share things with. So they have things in common with them. And one of the things that feminists have as a strike against them, and it's really, it's a list of things, but it starts with the fact that Since they're woke, they're aware of every problem in the universe, and that's all they want to talk about. And so they're nitpicking everyone. It's not just that they nitpick the president or elected officials. It's not just that they nitpick anyone who doesn't agree with their ideology. They nitpick anyone they're dating. And men aren't looking for someone to nitpick them. They're looking for someone to partner up with and have a great time with and enjoy. So uh, we're going to unpack the story today, but before we get to that, have a couple of other really great things that have been going on. And the first off for, is, did you catch the remarks of President Trump today at the March for Life, the first sitting U.S. president to ever speak live at the March for Life? Um, now, Vice President Pence has spoken there before, but we're talking about the President of the United States scheduling this. I saw a schedule yesterday when it came out, and it had March for Life and the travel to and from built into his day today. So this was an intentional uh appearance for him where he showed up to say something. I have a huge clip that I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I do want you to hear just a snippet of what he had to say while he was there today. I was so happy that um, that he did this. I was so happy that he took this upon himself. Check it out. The president of the United States at March for Life, the very first time. Let's watch this first. To be the first president in history to attend the March for Life. We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child born and unborn 
to fulfill their God-given potential. For 47 years, Americans of all backgrounds have traveled from across the country to stand for life. And today, as President of the United States, I am truly proud to stand with you. I want to welcome tens of thousands. This is a tremendous turnout. Tens of thousands of high school and college students who took long bus rides to be here in our nation's capital. And to make you feel even better, there are tens of thousands of people outside that we passed on the way in. If anybody would like to give up their spot, we could work that out. You have a tremendous group of people outside, thousands and thousands wanting to get in. This is some great success. Young people are the heart of the March for Life. And it's your generation that is making America the pro-family, pro-life nation. The life movement is led by strong women, amazing faith leaders, and brave students who carry on the legacy of pioneers before us who fought to raise the conscience of our nation and uphold the rights of our citizens. You embrace mothers with care and compassion. You are powered by prayer and motivated by pure, unselfish love. You're grateful, and we are so grateful, these are incredible people, to be joined by Secretary Alex Azar. Okay, I'm going to stop there because he goes through a list of the, uh, you know, elected officials and important people who were there at the march with him on the stage or out, uh, you know, down in the very front rows. And I just was... Um, I was so excited by seeing this, seeing him there, seeing him, the excitement, the the overall purpose that he has applied to his pro-life credentials. And this is someone that people routinely say isn't a Christian. And his pro-life bona fides are the reason why I continue to beat the drum of really, honestly, it's not if he's a Christian or not, or if he's attending church every Sunday, it's the things he's doing, the policies he's enacting, the results that we're getting from him. And if we're getting the results we're looking for as pro-life Christians, religious freedom being something that's very important to us, then what more can we ask for? By the way, peep out that cool, uh, it's like a canvas of President Trump that our daughter gave, our oldest daughter, daughter the first gave to me. Um, over the Christmas break. It wasn't even like a gift gift. She just came home with it, whipped it out of the bag, and was like, this is for you. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty fantastic too. Now let's let's move on through some of our topics for today. So first off, um, I was pretty surprised by uh, Jessica Tarlov, who is uh, obviously she's a Democrat. She's a liberal. She represents the liberal side of the aisle on Fox News. And she had a couple of things to say um, about the March for Life, they were discussing it on Fox, and she just she went there, a place where Democrats should never go because when they bare their teeth on abortion, it turns off regular people. Um, everybody knows that when your friend is pregnant, if your wife is pregnant, your your friend, your daughter, if someone you know is pregnant, they're pregnant with a baby. They know the baby's alive because the woman is 
you know, every time you see her, she, her stomach's a little bigger. Her stomach is growing. The baby's growing inside of her. You know that it's a human being because she's not going to have a dog or a cat or a snake. She's going to give birth to a human being. So you know it's alive. You know if the baby is no longer alive, it's called a miscarriage, and it's a devastation for the family because they mourn the loss of that person who was going to join them and be a member of their family. The, the baby who really already was a member of their family because I don't know any pregnant women who don't pat their belly, talk to their stomach, treat their unborn baby as a person. The minute the baby starts kicking and moving, you're aware that the child is, and you know, that when you eat, the baby's eating. And, and it, that was happening before, but it becomes much more obvious to you. So here's Jessica Tarlov. And I, I just, I encourage you to buck yourselves up. If you're sipping your coffee, get a sip, you know, swallow it down. Because here she comes with some straight, weapons grade crazy. I, as a woman, can make a choice about what I do with my pregnancy between me okay. and my doctor. But that's if not, you're the first small government, no, you have but it's no not, business telling me what no, to do with my body. No, I can answer that question because it's not it's not what a, it's you, a statement. No, 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 because it's, it's, it's not what you do to your body, it's what you do to another life. And that is why pro-lifers are fundamentally, fundamentally against uh, abortion because they view it as murder. So it's not about what you're doing to yourself, it's what you're doing to another living human being. Also, they not a living human they, being. Yes, it is. So Jessica Tarloff thinks that a baby is not a living human being. Now, if I'm not mistaken, she's single, no kids. Maybe she's never been pregnant, but irregardless of her status as a mom or if she's ever had a pregnancy or ever even had an abortion, the idea that she goes against the science that says that anything that is growing is alive, and if it's alive and we reproduce after our own kind, then those are human babies – um, what else, like, what else can we say to that? Honestly, people, what else can we say to someone who says that kind of nonsense? Jessica takes the position that slavery, uh, proponents of slavery took the, it, the individuals who pro promoted slavery said, well, those aren't really people. I mean, they look like they're some form of a person, but they're not people. They don't have personhood. That's why you can count them in amongst your tables, chairs, cows, pigs, horses, and then slaves. That's why you can count them up like that. That's why you can tally them and put them on inventory sheets. And when they reproduce a baby, you might be the parent of, you know, whatever. Um, you can add that child to the number of children. You have adult slaves and you have children slaves. And if you separate them, it doesn't matter. If you kill off the parent, it doesn't matter. They don't feel it. They don't, they don't have emotions like we do. They are not people. That same ideological sin is the root of that's not a human. That's not a baby. That's where that comes from. Just in case you think that she's a one-off, that Democrats don't believe this, I have Chris Quinn, who is a Democratic strategist and frequent guest on CNN, and she said this just last year. When a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being inside of her. It's part of her body, and this is a... So... She was on with Rick Santorum, and he said, it's alive. It is alive. And, and it's so, therefore, if we produce after our own kind and the baby is alive and growing because it's, you know, at some point going to emerge from the birth canal, not gaining personhood at that point, but gaining personhood at the moment of conception, then we know that Chris Quinn is also unscientifically minded. Uh, so what I want to be our main focus for arguing when we're talking about abortion we, we're, we're not really arguing anymore because science is on our side. 
it's not that we have to create a, an argument or we have to find facts that support us. The facts are already there. We know the truth about not just human reproduction, but reproduction, period. And we know that most babies in America, because of the advances of science, can be operated on in the womb and that birth defects can be corrected in the womb through surgery that they do while the mom is still pregnant, that babies who are born early, I mean, we're now talking about babies born at 20 weeks, 24 weeks is when they say that's viability, a baby born then has a high chance of survival. There are babies who've been born before that who have survived. They live their first few months in the, the uh, neonatal intensive care unit, but they survive and they grow on to be uh, just, you know, they're human beings. They grow up to be members of their family and contributing members of society. So the idea that it's a choice and a decision between Jessica Tarlov and her doctor, leaving out the father of the baby and leaving out the baby themselves, that's old, dried up, useless, worn down, garbage arguments from before, before science told us what the truth was. So, um, uh, Oh, Tracy said, ask him to put down a pregnant dog. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you decide that, um, you know, you don't want your dog and your dog's pregnant, they'll say, well, you are destroying the life of the dog and the dog's baby because the dog has a baby in it, but a human being does not. So we're, we're no longer bound by those, um, those, those mental gymnastics. We don't have to engage in that anymore because the science is clear. It has been clear. God's word has been clear the whole time, but now that scientific innovation has brought us to a place where babies can be operated on in the womb, and there's so many families out there who want to adopt a baby, it's not a part of a woman's body. It's a separate body attached to the woman on the inside, but that separate body has a right to live. And, okay, uh, yeah. Also, Tracy said, or Rich, Richard said, they refuse to eat eggs because they're vegan. Eggs are unborn chickens. They're outside of their mom, but they're still unborn. You would think that vegans would make an exception for the eggs, not just because they have a lot of protein and omega-3s and all that in them, because, but because they don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well, that just shows you the speciousness of their argument. So let's move on. Um, we have just, uh, it's just one more little thing before we get to the feminists. So... You know, Elizabeth Warren was at a campaign event and uh, a dad, an irate father, came up to her and confronted her. And the, the con confrontation went viral. The dad was talking about the fact that when his daughter was in high school and then when she went to college, what he did was he saved. And he didn't just save a little bit. He worked an extra job. He saved. He didn't buy new cars. He didn't go on vacation so that his daughter could go to college and not have any student loans. So he said, what about me? Do I get my money back from all the money that I paid for my daughter? And she said, of course not. And he said, you're just, you're screwing us over. And he turned and walked away because she was so, like she was smiling at him and laughing because she knew cameras were rolling and she wanted to appear to be, you know, smug and she wanted to condescend to him and he was having none of it. Well, then she goes on to, of course, uh, you know, she goes on to the shows and she was asked by a reporter on CBS about this exchange. I want you to hear the question and the answer that she gives so you can kind of understand what we're dealing with here with these liberals. 
And if you're listening to the show, as I know that some libs do listen, some progressives, some Democrats, what have you, God bless you for, for hanging in and listening. Tell me what you think of this. Do you think this is financially feasible, that it is the correct route for Americans to forgive the student loans of multiple tens of millions of students who've overextended themselves and showed poor judgment? And lastly, if we're doing that for student loans, why shouldn't the people who've overextended themselves on credit cards, car payments, and mortgages also ask for their debts to be forgiven as well? Here she is. So, Senator, I want to get you on a campaign. I want to get a question to you on a a campaign issue. Just last night, there was a video that surfaced. A lot of people are talking about it today. It's of a father who approached you at an event and said, you know, it's not fair. I've saved for my daughter's college education. And now you're talking about forgiving and helping out all the people who didn't save. For Americans who were in that father's position, who felt they did the right thing and you're bailing out those who didn't, what's your response? Look, we build a future going forward by making it better. By that same logic, what would we have done? Not started Social Security because we didn't start it last week for you or last month for you? Think of it this way. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a public school teacher. Here she teacher. comes with that lie. had no money. Are you saying tough there was, to these people, Senator? No. Her parents did have some money. It was a $50 a semester option for me. I was able to go to college and become a, a public school teacher because she's America lied about her college experience so much she doesn't even know she's talking a semester about. option for me. Today that's not available. And our kids have taken on a trillion and a half dollars in student loan debt. We have Why? got to back that up and say we're doing better going forward that we're not going to say the yeah. next generation has to take on 2 trillion dollars in debt and what? The next one 3 trillion or 4 trillion or 5 trillion. We don't build an America by saddling our kids with debt. We build in America by saying we're going to open up those opportunities for kids to be able to get an education without getting Senator. crushed by student loan debt. All right, Senator, thank you very much. So the, the issue that I have with what she said there, well, there are many issues. But first off, where's the personal responsibility? What about enacting legislation that prevents people from getting more student loan debt than, the, than their major or their degree program would permit? In other words, Since student loan debt was converted into a government thing by the Obama administration, they should have also put parameters around it. If you're going to college for a degree in basket weaving, you can't get student loans. If you're going for a medical degree, you can only borrow so much, which means you either have to work your way through, get more scholarships. Uh, they have to have some parameters. Right now, you can borrow two or $300,000 to get a degree in teaching. How do they do it? Well, the students borrow everything. They get an apartment. They get a car. They get, um, you know, they don't have to work their way through. They're putting their living expenses on there. They're eating. They're, everything is put onto the student loans. Now, I know you're thinking, well, that sounds, that sounds crazy. Well, it is crazy, and that's why we're against it. Instead of enabling people to get into these huge amounts of debt and then saying, well, the taxpayers are going to bail them out because it's too much, how about we put some parameters around people not doing that. So in other words, you don't you don't do you don't you don't get $100,000 in student loans for some, you know, potato farming degree. And I'm I'm all about farming. I believe degrees in agriculture are very useful, but you see what I'm saying here. It has to have a purpose and the when when we took our kids to their college visits so far the first two they would have something like STEM schools have these breakdowns and it's in the handout. It's like in the mailers that they send you and it's in the handout. 
the handout that they send to you, and this is this is fascinating. Um, the handout that they send to you is actually it or give to you when you go to the orientation discusses the return on investment ROI, and they have that at the top, and it will clearly delineate. If you get a degree in the STEM schools, a lot of them are engineering schools, but some of them are medical schools, whatever, it will have on there what a graduate, your expected entry-level salary, So, and then they put a percentage, 82% or 90% or whatever the percentage is of their graduates who go into their degree field are earning this amount of money. And that's where they get the number from. They don't just pull it out of the air or go to salary.com or indeed.com. They actually poll their graduates. So these are numbers from their own graduates, not the graduates of the college down the street, but the graduates from their school, where they went to work, if it's in their degree field, what they're making as a starting salary. Then they put that number in there so you can see, okay, here, and they'll say, this is our annual cost of tuition. This is our room and board. These are our fees. Four years here will cost you, you know, X. Then you're going to have, hopefully, you know, they, they don't actually speculate on your, your student loan status. They just say, if you're in your degree field and you graduate and you actually go work in your degree field, this is what you can expect to make. So, of course, will there be people who don't get into that salary range? There'll be people who are a little above and there'll be people who are a little below. There'll be people who graduate and then decide to get married and be a stay-at-home mom and never work in the field. Those numbers are also taken into consideration. Uh, but it, my question is, if they're doing that for STEM schools, if you're going to school for an English degree or a history degree or a degree in black studies, or as they call them, African-American studies or women's studies, shouldn't there be, or social work, which social workers are notoriously underpaid and they have to have a master's degree to work in the field. So that's seven years of schooling for 28000 a year or 36000 a year. You have to really love being a social worker to do that. And really, you need to have those parents with the deep pockets who are going to pay, or you need to work your way through, or you need to do ROTC or something like that. You have... You have to have a plan that it, other than I'm going to borrow all the money from Uncle Sam and wait for Liz Warren to be elected. So I don't think people are really looking at the student loan issue and getting good advice from parents or school counselors and what have you. And then later they want to blame other people. That's, that's horrible. That's really horrible. Don't do that. Parents tell your kids the truth about student loans. They have to be repaid. It's the only debt you can't discharge, even in a bankruptcy. Uh, you're gonna, if you borrow it, you're going to pay it back. Liz Warren wants to circumvent that system and make millions of other really responsible people who did the right thing make them the anomaly and make everyone else who's doing it wrong make that the standard. We don't want that. So... Now let's get over to the feminists. And I know you're probably thinking, I mean, what's wrong with feminists? Well, there's nothing wrong with being a feminist. But if, you, if you're wanting to be a feminist and you're wanting to convert your significant other to feminism and then they're not coming to you as a feminist, a male feminist, then you're on one of those, uh, it's like a vision quest with no vision. Don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. So here's what's going on. There's this story, and um, there's a there's the story. the uh, The article is over at Refinery Twenty Nine, and she's a writer. She's a British writer, and she went in on this piece that she 
was trying to basically give voice to feminist angst. And she wanted to share out there that there was this information from a British drama star. His name is Lawrence Fox, and he declared on the BBC that he does not believe criticism of Duchess Meghan stems from racism, and then followed up his transgression, transgression against social justice by insisting that he does not date woke women. And this, this interview made it into the pages of the UK's top newspapers. Now, feminists got raging mad when they heard he'd said that. Now, let me just full disclosure, you guys. First of all, I actually, I don't care what the root of it was. The UK press treated Meghan, Mar Meghan Markle or Duchess Meghan, they treated her like a piece of hot flaming garbage. Their coverage of her was completely unfair. And whether they did that because of racism or because she's a liberal and she won't shut up about politics, even though she's in the royal family, or they didn't like her looks or racism, whatever the reason was, they treated her much differently than they treated uh, Princess Kate. And they treated her in a way that um, it was glaringly obvious that they were out to get her and they didn't want her in the royal family. Now, y'all know I hate Meghan Markle's politics. I've said it here on the show before. I don't agree with one iota of what she says or does when it comes to politics. But I did as a bit of a fashion hound I loved watching her in the outfits and the coverage of the clothes that she was wearing. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't believe that people who are uh, on the left-hand side of the political aisle can't do anything right. So there were things that I liked observing, especially the ceremonial stuff when it would be her and her husband. And they were just a different foil, a different kind of royals from uh, Kate and her husband, William, which I, I liked them too. I mean, I, I'm not – see. I'm not British. See, I'm an American. I'm a gun-toting, Bible-clinging American. So um, as sure as I wave the flag as often as I can, I have one draped behind me right now. And as sure as I've been to Great Britain and enjoyed their food and their their beautiful, you know, they just have a historically significant country. And London is so gorgeous. It is unbelievably beautiful there. Um, because the buildings are so old and there's so much, there's like this smashing together of skyscrapers and buildings that are 700 years old. It's just unbelievably magnificent. The castles, the the uh, the Big Ben clock, the Madame Tussauds, all that stuff. So I have a little bit of an affinity for it. Um, that being said, the decision for Meghan Markle and her husband to step down from being senior royals was done out of concern by Harry for Meghan's well-being because of the negative press coverage and because she wasn't accepted into the royal family. So if you disagree with that, you think she you know, made her bed or you think she literally, by the force of her will and good looks, forced her husband to step down from being a senior royal, um, you're probably not paying attention. It, you know, th This idea that a woman can make a man do something they don't want to do is not well-founded. I'm, and I'm speaking from some, I've been married for decades here now, I told you, 20 some odd years. And I've only been able to get my husband to do things that he was inclined to do. But if I try to convince my husband to do something that he is utterly against, it never works. It never works. I can go off and do it on my own. He will still not join in. Men are not easily manipulated. That being said, Harry has been talking about leaving the royal family since his mom died. Like since since he came out of his depression for the first time as a young adult and served in the Royal Air Force and was embedded with those guys and, the, and they were all over the Middle East. They were in Africa and they didn't know he was royal. 
until he was outed by a member of the British press. This man has been talking about from that moment on how he doesn't want to be a royal. He that how what what could he do if if he just weren't royal anymore? So I think it's kind of wrong footed to blame Megan for the fact that they're stepping down. He's a father now. He's married and he wants to protect his wife and kid. Now that I've gone off on that tirade, um, and I hope you ain't mad because everybody gets an opinion and this is my show. Uh, this story over at Refinery 29 is really, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say to yourself, um, why is everybody so mad that this one guy is talking about other guys who don't want to do this one thing, which is date liberal women? It's as if liberal women don't think there are enough men out there. Aren't there enough liberal men who want to be kowtowed and, you know, all that stuff? Aren't there enough of them out there that they could find somebody that they want? And the guy who's saying it, he is hardly like a prize, but maybe some women are looking at him and thinking he's hot. I don't know. So Lauren Fox says, Lawrence Fox appeared on BBC's Question Time and told them that Meghan Markle has not been on the receiving end of racism. And then he appeared on the cover of the Sunday Times to tell the world that he does not date woke women. And then he kind of did, did a few other comments that we won't get into here. We'll just stick with the feminist angle since I already covered all the Meghan Markle opinions that I have. So she goes into castigating him, I mean, really hard. Like she's, she's riding him pretty hard over um, the fact that it's he doesn't want to date um, women who are are they're liberal. So if you she says if you spend an afternoon on any major dating app, you'll come across generally white men saying openly sexist and misogynistic things. Their their accounts where they're talking about what they want in a woman will say no psychos um, or that they hate big eyebrows. I'm leaving the expletives out. Um, by and large, they also tend to hold extremely white right-wing views and see themselves as victims of liberal thinking. She said a friend of hers, a dear friend, sent her a screenshot of the guy she just matched with who describes Jordan B. Peterson as a dream dinner guest. Um, the same Jordan B. Peterson who thinks that white privilege is a Marxist lie and wants millennials to drop their obsession with social justice. She said she recently had to block someone on a dating app who, after matching with her, launched into a vile rant about how women are evil only want sex and treat men as though they are disposable. He said he only had moderate disdain for women and then said he didn't want to date her because she's pretty rough. <laughs> so first of all, if you're like sissy McSissy pants or you've got a really weak constitution, what are you doing on a dating app? People say horrible things online and dating apps are no different. You should probably join a singles group or go join a church and get to know Jesus and get into the singles group at church, you're going to meet nicer people that way. And they won't be able to be as rude to you because first of all, they're at church or second of all, they're in a singles group or third of all, they're meeting you person to person. And people just aren't as rude in person as they are when they're protected behind a screen with their little cat memes running on the side on their phone. So she talks about um, anti-feminist anti incels, which is a great way for her to reduce this man and any other man who doesn't want to date a feminist down to something that can be dismissed by her. Incels, or men that women don't want to have sex with, men who are perennially alone because they're undesirable, who are now called incels, those are not the same as 
your run-of-the-mill, garden-variety, successful man who doesn't want to date someone who's going to force him into going to abortion marches or l- make him listen to her shout her abortion. And it's a-, a big deal for me when I look at this because she's trying to tie white supremacy, radicalization, anti-Islamism, all of that with the fact that they don't want to date woke women. Those are reaches, There are many different kinds of people out there, and there are many different kinds of uh, wrong thinking, right thinking. There's just as many people as there are. There are those types, that many variances in human behavior and what people find acceptable. What she never addresses in her piece is what is attractive about a woke female. And I'm not talking about the physical attributes like the big eyebrows or whatever the guy was talking about. What men find attractive and what feminist women present themselves as appears to be a pretty radical difference. And she's doing a really, like she's working super hard in this piece to force anyone who disagrees with her ideology into a category that basically nullifies their existence and that's not going to help her because the more men's the, the more men's existence or the more men, the more individuals that she nullifies, the harder it is going to be for her to find someone to build a life with. It would be easier for her to simply say, I'm not going to force my political views onto people that I date. Or she could say, I'm going to basically unplug from politics a little bit to get some perspective and go on some dates where I don't know the politics of the man or the, the man's politics are not the primary thing that I'm seeking out. Get to know some people on the level of person to person as opposed to political activist to political activist. All of these things um, are making it really difficult for young people, so millennials and, and under, to find spouses and What I don't know is why anyone would want to make themselves as undesirable as possible and then put themselves in the dating market. Why not just take yourself out of the dating market and say, you know, I'm I'm going to be happier single because I am much more of a political activist than I'm than I am a potential wife. I know that's a tough thing to say, especially since women, our biological clocks start ticking immediately and run out at about 34 or 35. And if you're just about to crack 30 and you still haven't found anyone that that 35 is looking you right in the face and you're thinking to yourself not only do I not want to wait till I'm 35 so I'm on the edge a borderline of not being able to get pregnant but you don't want to wait until you're 35 because you just be kind of old when your kids get 18 and then when they become adults longer life expectancies yeah but you still want to be able to run and do stuff when your kids have their kids or you might might even want to be around when your kids kids have kids and be a great grandparent So, you know, having kids in your 20s, is just easier on your body. You have more energy. Um, You just, it's just easier on you. Now, have them whenever you want. Please don't think I'm laying down any laws here, but we're just talking about the facts as they lay on the ground. So I just, I felt like reading through the piece, it's a struggle to get through. Um, She says at the end, she closes out with this. Make no mistake, the far right is already capitalizing on Fox's words, gassing him up and turning him into an icon. He has added to their backlash and given it oxygen. Every time he's invited onto a TV or radio show to talk about it, that oxygen will cause the backlash to burn hotter and faster, irrespective of whether we're watching or not. 
It's important not to trivialize this anti-woke, anti-women backlash. In the end, it's only by paying attention to it that we can understand it and do something about it. Well, my advice to her and anyone else who found his comments to be concerning would be maybe to just, you know, it's something you see on movies sometimes, but it is possible in real life. I've actually been, uh, it was one of the first times I ever went to a tea party gathering and a guy kind of tinked his glass with his fork. And when he got the attention of the people at the tables around, he said, hey, I want to take an informal poll. And he asked a question about taxes. And then he asked a question about abortion. And a bunch of people it, it like erupted in conversation and it spurred everything on. And so it wouldn't be unheard of to go to, you know, a, a place where singles gather and maybe, you know, a few people, a few of the people there tank your glass and say, hey, this guy, Lawrence Fox, uh, made a statement about not wanting to date woke women. What do you guys think about that? Anybody here dating anybody who's, you know, quote unquote, woke? Um, what do you guys think about that? And get some unvarnished opinions. And then when you hear the opinions, instead of yelling and screaming or stomping off or cursing or dropping the F-bomb 50 times, just listen to what they have to say and ponder on it. It's an anecdotal, unscientific sampling of individual opinions. But it is also valuable because the people who are giving you the information are willingly sharing with you and you can do with it whatever you want. You can listen to it, you can ignore it, but at least you have some some benchmark by which to operate. I think it's important for young people to try to learn about the world that they're in and to learn about the consequences of their behaviors. You're not too old to do that if you're in your 20s or your 30s. It's something we can all do. I try to engage in it a little bit myself. It's, it's like... Sometimes you're learning and you're thinking, I don't want to learn this, but it's it's valuable. Anyway, guess what? I think that's going to be the show for today. Um, so first off, I just want to say thank you, God. Glory to God. Oh, and thank you, Noah, for getting the sound working. It was a very simple fix. I hope I can remember it, but we also have it in our little, we have a, a area where we chat where I can go back and review things. And of course, Noah is available for help. Um, I'm so glad that the sound is working again. So glad that I got a chance to be with you today. The next thing we're working on is getting the Facebook live stream back up. But you know what? It's Friday. Enjoy the weekend. Get in the queue this weekend. And have a wonderful time. I'll be back with you on Monday.